2: You know, killing culture is no less of a crime than killing people. <laughs> yeah. Know, because it kills their mind. And their sense, spirit. And their spirit. But of course, if we would have to put in prison people that do this kind of crime, <laughs> the world would be too small as a prison, <laughs> you know.
3: From the TED Audio Collective, this is Design Matters with Debbie Millman. For 17 years, Debbie Millman has been talking with some of the world's most creative people about what they do, how they got to be who they are, and what they're thinking about and working on. And now, some of those interviews appear in print in Debbie's brand new book, Why Design Matters, Conversations with the World's Most Creative People. It's coming out in February of 2020. In anticipation of the book, every Thursday, we're going to be releasing an interview from the archives, in addition to our new episodes that come out on Mondays. We thought it would be fun for listeners to hear not only some great interviews, but also to hear how the podcast has evolved over the years. So we're going to release the oldest ones first and proceed chronologically. In September of 2010, Debbie interviewed the late, great Italian designer Massimo Vignelli. They talked about his favorite typeface, his fight against vulgarity and meaningless design, and what he means by forceful design.
2: A design that is emotionally charged, that uh, it has intensity on whatever it does, you know, so that it's not only harmony, but it's provocative at the same time.
3: Massimo Vignelli, after the break.
0: Massimo Vignelli is one of the great design artisans of our time. He has worked on everything from package design and signage to furniture, interior design, and subway maps. He co-founded Vignelli Associates with his wife, Layla, and clients have included American Airlines, the New York Subway, St. Peter's Church, and many others. Vignelli has said, if you can design one thing, you can design everything. Welcome to Design Matters, Massimo.
2: Debbie, is my pleasure.
0: So you began your training as a 16-year-old draftsman at the Architects Castiglioni in Milano. Yeah. There you were taught the axiom of Adolf Luz that an architect should be able to design everything from the spoon to the city. Yep. I understand that it was at that point in your life that you decided that you wanted to design everything Mm -hmm. and first stated that if you can design one thing, you can design everything. Right. So tell me more about that time and what you meant specifically about that statement.
2: Well, I said if you can design one thing, you can design everything because the discipline of design is the same. Once you have a discipline on your hands on your mind, you can design anything. Just a specific might change you know so you you can design graphics, you can design furniture, same discipline. You know, I design tables that look like a Bodoni.
0: <laughs> now, why am I not surprised about that? You know, there are quite a lot of theories about your work and the way that you work. And there, there, there's something that I want to ask you about uh, to see if it's true or if they are more urban myths. And of course, one has to do with Bodoni. Mm-hmm. Um, is it true that you only use four typefaces Garamond, oh, yeah. Bodoni, Century Expanded, and Helvetica? Yeah. <laughs> and and so that's Well it's
2: true I tell you it is very simple people sometimes are surprised but they they forget that basically there are two kind of types serif type and sans serif type so on the serif type you have Garamond which is 500 years old you have Bodoni which is 2 300 years old 200 actually <laughs> and um uh, yeah, there are things like Caslon, like Baskerville. They're very dignified type, but I don't use all the time because they're basically very similar to the other two, which are much better. When you get to sans Serif type, you know, there is Futura, there is Accidents, which then became Helvetica, much better, and then there is Universe, which is a much larger family. So... Um, usually it's between one of the three so according to what we do really it's true that we don't use more than half a dozen typefaces but sometimes we use some others you know we're not so we're not fundamentalist in that respect, you know. But uh, it, there are times that we might use a fancy type, too. You know, it depends on what you have to do. But most of the time, we don't have to fancy things to do. So that's why it limits also the use of typefaces, you know. Uh, if we had to do a newspaper, we certainly would look like in a... What is available today, for instance, for better legibility and the right impact and the elegance that we like to convey, whatever it is. And we're open, but not close you know, to anything. It just so happens that most of the type is junk. And since it's junk, we trash it out. Now, how, would,
0: how do you define Junk.
2: Uh, Something which is trendy, which is uh, not lasting value, something which is just phony, something which is uh, insensitive in the details, something which is not elegant, something which is not strong. All things which for us are quite important, you know, and so we just trash it. I mean, we don't use it. Well, this is not to discourage uh, type designers. I mean, the challenge of coming out with a super-duper type is still alive, you know. It's going to be either a serif or a sans-serif. But it's funny that what we see around very often is not satisfactory as the great typefaces which have resisted for hundreds of years, like Garamond and Bodoni. Bodoni is the best one.
0: You've said that, you don't like to use type as a decorative element, and that you're horrified, and you specifically use the word horrified, that you're horrified by any type deformation. Oh, yes. So what do you consider to be type deformation?
2: Well, anything which is uh, just a deviation from a canonic (laughs) type. You know, uh, if you take caslon uh, and you begin to move it around, or you know, or, or you take uh, clarendon, and uh, clarendon is quite good typeface, but very much connected in my mind with the. Industrial Revolution, England, 1830, 1880, you know. So if I have, very English, <laughs> great for pubs. If you have to do a sign for a pub in a great British tradition, Clarendon is perfect. But if you take Clarendon and you start to make a square rather than round or whatever it is, you know, doing this little thing, there are a lot of type designers, you know, there are very, very few great type designers, you know, just like there are very few great everything. Who know?
0: would you consider to be a great type designer working Frutiger, today?
2: Frutiger, by all means, still alive. Herman Zoff, Frutiger. Uh, Matthew Carter is a very good one, too. And then there are some uh, good, less important than that, less big than that as names in, in Holland. In you know, the Netherlands, there are some very good type designers. Because ne- Netherlands is always very, uh, been very attentive to this kind of uh, issue. You Why know? do you think so? Uh, their tradition, you know, their tradition is very minor. They don't do big paintings. They do Vermeers. <laughs>
0: you, The last time we spoke about typography, you said that you felt that at the time most typefaces were designed for commercial reasons, yeah. just to make money, yeah. and uh, or for identity purposes. And I'm wondering if you still feel that way. Do you feel like there's been any improvement?
2: Uh, no. The situation was still pretty much the same. Uh, as I say, it's one way to make a living, so you can't really discard that. I mean, we will have that around forever. You know, somebody that doesn't have uh, enough uh, culture or, or enough uh, refinement in his uh, creative mind, you know, uh, it's possible that will not be happy with just a few typefaces and he wants to do his own, not knowing that it's meaningless.
0: I want to talk about vulgarity.
2: Well, that's exactly part of it. This is why he doesn't know. Because, well, you know, um, well, I think my uh, one of my major tasks in life, you know, was to fight as much as possible vulgarity. Not to wipe it out, but at least to reduce it. <laughs> you know? Do you think it's, that
0: that's possible? Do you feel like you've been yeah, successful?
2: I, I think, that not in, of course, not a single-man operation, but I think that in the last... Uh, 40 years, uh, 50 years, a lot has been done to improve the situation. I remember when I came to New York, it was a very ugly, dirty kind of city. Today it's beautiful, it's clean, it's a beautiful building. There was no architecture at that time, almost modern architecture. Now it's full of modern architecture. All the big architects are doing things here. Uh, There is full of very good designers. There are thousands of good graphic designers around. There was nobody at that time, which was very good for me. (laughs) (laughs) I was lucky. But, you know, it would be for me very difficult to emerge today, you know, because there is so much good designers, so much good design around.
0: Do you feel that the quality of clients has fundamentally changed in the yeah. 50 years you've been practicing?
2: Yeah. You know, it's very funny, that really, what happened. In the old times, I can say that. The old times. <laughs> in the old times, there were very few good clients, and most of the people were not aware. Today, there are a lot of young people in the in the companies that they think they know everything. They, they The reality is that they don't. But they're very adamant, and they're, they're very commercial. They're very... Uh, They're not open, they're not intelligent, they're not cultured enough, basically. They might be intelligent, but they're not cultured enough. And therefore, the communication becomes very difficult because they articulate their wants rather than their needs. And there is a big difference, particularly marketing people, you know, which are the culprit of everything which is wrong, (laughs) you know. Yes. And... uh, you know marketing people they're used they're trained by bad education in marketing to satisfy wants instead of needs and that is the
0: the key thing well you've talked quite a lot about this very passionately mm-hmm. in your book mm-hmm. the vignelli canon mm-hmm. which is right now free on your website yeah. but also coming out in, in, printed version. in the printed version yeah, yeah, in by, the coming months.
2: Yeah, well, in in a month published by Lars Müller, you know, the Swiss design, which pleases me to no end, you know, in a sense. It pleases even more that it's in online because it could be read by millions of people. And instead, uh, when a printed version could be read only by a few thousands, which is, you know, irrelevant. However, I got a very funny thing. I got an email the other day from some Russian friends, that they translated the whole canon in Russian. Really? And and they sent me the online version, which is very funny because it's all in Cyrillic, and I don't understand a word. <laughs> you know? But it must but be gorgeous. S- same layout, exactly the same, same type, everything. You know.
0: Now, what made you decide to give away the Vignelli canon for free on your website?
2: Uh, I think that, you know, this kind of subject should be Online, So it pleases me very much that it, it goes around the world. I wasn't certainly expecting that kind of a response, you know. Uh, in the first month, we had 300,000 clicks, you know, on the... On wow. the, And I couldn't believe it. I said, 300,000? What, what are they doing with it? But then I got all the email of people saying it's great and students, you know, spreading it around and so on and so forth. So I say, well, wow, I didn't know that it's such a such a good thing.
0: So, is this the first time your work has been so intertwined with technology?
2: Uh yes, yes, yes. It is the first. I hope it's not going to be the last one because I really like that. You know, I do like the printed word as well. You know, because it's you know it's there. You don't need electricity to to read a book. You know? Yeah, you don't have to worry about a battery yeah, running yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. You, but it's very cumbersome. Now, look what you can do now with a tablet. I mean, you go around, you know, with any one of those Amazon things, what is the name? Kindle. The Kindle. And you have a library that never ends with just one little thing. If, you, if you're going to put all the books in the bag, you couldn't move. You well,
0: it's, that's a, it's an interesting concept, though. I'm surprised to hear you say <laughs> that. I would have expected that you would not be a fan of the Kindle because no, of the possibility uh, that it could replace on the, the printed contrary, page. On
2: the I'm a great fan of the digital books. You know, I think we are in the infancy of that. I think that pretty soon we will have a, already a tablet probably, is a size that allows a book or a magazine to, to be seen as a spread. But think the greatest thing about that, you're reading a book, instead of just a picture of a building, you go inside the building. Wow, what an architectural book that could be! Is there really architectural, you know? And all this becomes very possible now. You turn the page, it becomes three dimensional. The whole thing—I mean, it's mind-boggling. This is all going to happen. Too late for me, but what a great world for the future generations, you know. It's do great.
0: you do you worry at all about the? elimination of the printed page in any way, or do you feel no, that they I, can coexist?
2: No, I I, th- I think the good things will have permanence. So good books will probably stay, you know, as a printed form.
0: Do you do a lot of design work on the computer or with the computer? Uh,
2: no, I still use my pencil for everything. You know, I, it's faster for me than the computer. I use the computer for writing, and that is fantastic for design um, no, I have to rely on people in my office that can do that, you know. I, I cannot do it. <laughs> does that
0: bother you, or do yes, you, yes, it does? it bothers
2: me a lot to to depend, you know, for these things, because uh, my language is being reduced a little bigger, a little smaller, a little more to the left, a little more to the right, Yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a big reduction of language, in a sense. Now, all that, if I can do it myself, of course, would be much better. I, I envy all the young people that can do this like, uh, like writing, you know, in a sense.
0: It's magical. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: Now, you know, I remember when I, when I was uh, six years old, you know, it was a big thing to learn how to write. You know, six years old today can write on the computer. Effortlessly. Anything, effortlessly. Effortlessly. And do all kinds of things, not just write you can use the whole computer.
0: <laughs> I want to go back to talking a little bit about your feeling that marketing managers' involvement with design is not always a positive thing and you said in in your book that we see design that has no meaning, stripes and swash of color splashed across pages for no reason whatsoever. Well, they're either meaningless or incredibly vulgar or mm-hmm. criminal mm-hmm. when done on purpose. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are designers and marketing people who intentionally look down on the consumer with the notion that vulgarity has a definite appeal to the masses, and therefore they supply the market with a continuous flow of crude and vulgar design. I consider this criminal since Producing visual pollution that is degrading our environment is just like all other types of pollution.
2: I love to hear you reading it. <laughs> it sounds even better. I'm well, sure, I believe very strongly about that, and I really think it's a crime. It's a word that I use intentionally because I think you know, killing culture is no less of a crime than killing People. Yeah. Because it kills their mind and their spirit. And their spirit. But of course, if we would have to put in prison people that do this kind of crime, the world would be too small as a prison, you know.
0: (laughs) A design prison. (laughs) (laughs) They have to look at bad design all day as their punishment.
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> no, but it's true. The marketing people look down to people. Instead, I mean, a good designer or a good or a good responsible client looks up to people. He, he understands his function of contributing, taking people out from from those low levels and getting them to a better level. Just like when you give a good book to a person, so they will not have the time to read a bad book. In a sense, you know and uh, And that is the operation one has to believe, of course, you know, in this redeeming factor of education, you know a redeeming factor of not spreading vulgarity because that lowers the level. the more you spread, the more the level goes down and instead our operation as designers and architects is to uh raise that situation you know uh, so that the world might get a little better place you know and increase. The good values, you know, make a better food instead of a junky food. You know, it's part of this uh, same idea. Making good music instead of bad music is part of the same concept. There's making good design instead of bad design instead of commercial design. There's commercial music. There's commercial design. There's commercial fashion. There's commercial everything. You know, commercial things are done by people that want to exploit other people and couldn't care less about quality. We are interested in quality. This is what is nice. Nobility is our life.
0: Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now, your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present, but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.
4: Hey, y'all. It's Elise. I have another podcast to tell you about. It's called In the Making. It's an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express. and the founder of an online education platform called I Love Creatives. And on the show, Puno shares her journey from working on the Call of Duty video game To building both a design studio and a trade school for digital design. Puno has practical advice for taking a thoughtful and iterative approach to career building. Most importantly, this show is actionable. It's about how you can take your own next step in the creative world and into the creator economy. It'll help you discover creative, intriguing people who are making a living, and it'll probably inspire you no matter what you do. I know it certainly did for me. Search for In the Making in your podcast player. My thanks to In the Making and Adobe Express for their support. Why do you think that vulgarity is so much easier
0: for people to absorb because than culture?
2: Because it doesn't require culture, exactly. It's easier because it doesn't require education. It doesn't require refinement, brain refinement. So therefore, it's so much easier, you know, uh, to, to like things if you don't know. The moment you begin to know knowledge, Brings you sifting ability, so you begin to sift the good from the bad. You know, the more you know, the more sophisticated you become. The more refined your taste becomes, and so on and so forth. So, that is the task: it is to
0: sift the trash out. <laughs> now, you've said that you believe that design should be forceful, yeah. and that you do not like limpy design. (laughs) So how do you define limpy design? How do you define forceful design? How do you define limpy design? I I define
2: uh, forceful design, a design that is emotionally charged, that uh, it has intensity on whatever it does, you know, so that it's not only harmony, but is provocative at the same time, where the balance between the elements is exciting the black and the white space. I mean the the printed and the emptiness, you know, are in a proper contrast where the color works in that respect. And all that works with a good sense of appropriateness. So it's great for that situation, you know. I don't like limp design, you know, the kind of as I used to say the kind of nuns like to do, you know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. I wish that our listeners could see the little hand motions you're making right now to define limpy. <laughs> you know, and, uh,
4: <laughs> and you, you
2: know, those uh, angel pure... Um, uh, weak kind of design, basically you know pale colors, meaningless stripes and meaningless uh, things you so know,
0: so what basically. is meaningless How do, is it decorative Any, yeah. Is it there for the sake of being there
4: yeah
2: a- anything which is not pertinent and uh, to a to a situation, uh, but again, it depends on the object and the situation. I uh, have nothing against decoration. Decoration could be very good, you know, but there are ways and way of achieving. We achieve decoration by subtraction because the subtraction is our methodology of working. Other people achieve decoration by addition, they keep adding. They do something. They do a plate and then they put the flowers on top. Why do you put the flowers on top? Why don't you design a beautiful plate where, you, by just by looking at the plate, you say oh, how handsome that plate is? You know, <laughs> we have done a plate, for instance, uh, and then we took off the glaze from the edge and revealed the material, and it looks terrific. You know, and uh, so it is a decorative element. There is was no need structurally. There is no need for anything else. Why we did it? Because it adds something by subtracting.
0: <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about logo design and corporate identity. Mm-hmm. Today, uh, United Airlines revealed their new identity after their merge with Continental Airlines, and their new identity is a bit of a mashup of the United name. Mm-hmm. And the continental mark, and you have very strong opinions, as we would expect mm-hmm. of identity design you 've said that perhaps because you grew up in a country where history and vernacular architecture were part of the culture of the territory and was protected, I consider established logos something to be equally protected. A logo mm-hmm. gradually becomes part of our collective culture in its modest way it becomes part of all of us. So what do you think of the way that identity design is approached now? We have two giant airlines, United Airlines, Continental. United has a mark and a name. Mm -hmm. Continental has a mark and a name. And now the merger of the companies is, let's take one of the marks and one of the names and mash it up together.
2: That's marketing. (laughs) These are the the solutions brought forward by marketing people, which have no imagination whatsoever. As a general category, I despise them. But (laughs) there might be some great marketing. Marketing men here and there, but as a category, I really despise them. They—they um, they, they are the master of this kind of thing. They are mongrels, you know. they, they make this kind of a mix with uh, which has no creative solution whatsoever. Uh, Sometimes the solution is very easy. I mean, when Siba and Gagi, the two gigantic uh, pharmaceutical companies, got together, they called me to, uh, to see what to do with their logo. And then at the end, I said, listen, Siba has a great image. Gagi has a great image. Why do you want to destroy all this with a new logo? Call it Siba Gagi." And they went on for many years until some stupid marketing guy came around and says, we need a new name. And that's when Novartis came about. Novartis? I mean, it's ridiculous. Not even good for a paint, you know. And you (laughs) give it to the two most dignified or very dignified uh, pharmaceutical companies. You see... This is the typical thing that I despise. That kind of mind, you know. Same as United Continental, two great airline. What's wrong about writing United Continental? I don't know. One of these days we're going to see, uh, Continental United. <laughs> you know, as long as they uh, don't touch you know, American, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank God it's the American Airlines. I don't. I I can't believe it that it survives so long, but it's so damn good that it's no surprise. You know, so I hope they will survive for a for a long time, too. H-
0: have you seen the new American Terminal at JFK? Um,
2: yeah, I guess
3: so. Because yeah.
0: they have a big, uh, giant wall of the evolution of the I logo say, no, over no, the years. Say. It's brand new, <laughs> and it's really magnificent. And I was oh, I thinking about that. you when I saw it <laughs> to see how well your mark has stood the test of time. So, in 1971, you founded Vignelli Associates Mm -hmm. with your wife, Mm -hmm. and in 2008... You donated the entire archive of your design work to the Rochester Institute of Technology. Mm -hmm. And the archive is going to be exhibited in a building that you have designed called the Vignelli Center for Design Studies. And it will include, among its many offerings, exhibition spaces, classrooms, offices, and it's about to open. So tell us about how this all came (laughs) to be. Congratulations. It's so exciting. Thank you. It
2: is exciting. It's very exciting. Um, it all started back in 1979 when a professor from RIT came to visit us to ask what should be the education of design for the next 10 years at that time. And I said, well, enough with the Bauhaus-Frobilian Games and let's concentrate the education on history, theory, and criticism, which are extremely Important and fundamental for the education of a designer. A designer without sense of history is worth nothing. And if you don't have a theory, you don't know where you stand, you, you know. And criticism is what brings you about the whole thing. So, uh, two years later, they did the first international conference on history theory and criticism, and of course, I was the keynote speaker. It goes <laughs> <because> without saying. <laughs> 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 and. Uh, and then they start to collect archives from American modernists. You know, great name from Lester Bill to Wilburton, from C.P. Penelis to uh, Leo Leoni and, and so many, so many others. You know, a lot of them. And they use these archives every day, basically, for teaching. So they don't get the archive put on the basement. No, they are in, in a place which is reachable by the teachers and the students. And so, I like very much that. So, we decided to give the whole thing to RIT.
0: How lucky for them.
2: <laughs> and uh, our archive is much bigger than any other one, because we have a lot of three-dimensional things. We have studies, and we have, you know, graphic works, and tons of books. As a matter of fact, 650 boxes was wow. in the latest move, you know. And so, they build building uh, connected to the school, and so on. So, it's it's like an appendix of the school, and, and we designed two cubes, one of brick, which is the archive area, and one of glass, which is the exhibition areas, basically exhibition and, and class. You know, So uh, beside the archive, the, the, the center will have also a master on history, theory, and criticism for people that want to become teachers on that section, in and and those issues, I mean, as you say... And uh, that I'm very, very, very happy because it goes more uh, than just having an archive. There There is a chair, it's called the Vignelli chair, the Massimo Vignelli chair for design, and now... It's amazing. The, the amazing thing to me is that this happens in Rochester rather than New York. I mean, why not in New York? Of course we wanted to have it in New York because it would be more convenient for us. But it was impossible to find a place. It was impossible to find an, a, a school that would do this, you know. They create, you know, an entity, not just a basement full of boxes, you know. By the way, the, you should see how the, uh, the and the new building over at the, uh, the RIT. They have all these shelves, movable shelves, you know. Really? Yeah. They have air condition. They have humidity control. You have um, uh, camera supervising the whole thing. So incredible, you know, state of the arts on, on that kind of uh, issue.
0: You and your work will be able to live forever. so. <laughs> We've come to the end of our broadcast today. I'd like to thank the magnificent Massimo Vignelli for joining me today.
2: Thank you, Debbie.
0: Over the course of the interview, we talked about the Vignelli Canon, which can be downloaded for free from Vignelli.com, and a printed version will be available next month.
2: With more entries, by the way. With more <laughs> entries, with more
0: wonderful new material. <laughs> I'd like to thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Nolan and I look forward to talking with you again soon.
3: Debbie's new book, Why Design Matters, Conversations with the World's Most Creative People, is coming out in February of 2022. Design Matters is produced for the TED Audio Collective by Curtis Fox Productions. Interviews are usually recorded at the School of Visual Arts Master's in Branding Program in New York City, the first and longest-running branding program in the world. The Editor-in-Chief of Design Matters Media is Emily Weiland.
1: You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack